Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John's Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are the creator and the master of the universe. Just as the hymn says, you are so tall that we cannot go over you, so low that we cannot go under you, so wide that we cannot go around you. Only through the Lamb do we get to you. And so, Lord, on this day when we think about your kingdom, may you speak to us through this hour. Through all that we have witnessed, all that we have sung, all that we have said, all that we hear, may you speak to our souls, our hearts, our minds, our very beings. And in speaking to us, O Lord, may we be changed so that we would leave this time together as better people as better followers, as better disciples, knowing that we get to you only through your Son. But change in a way that we are not just hearers of your word, but that we are doers of your word, showing the world the path to you. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. So, admittedly, I have a type A personality. I am one of those people that believes that early is on time and on time is late. I believe that everything has a place and that everything should be in its place. So it should come to no surprise to you when I think about the idea of my yard, that it should be nice and neat. That it should not be overgrown, it shouldn't be shaggy, it shouldn't be strewn with leaves or sticks abound all across it. No, that it should be neat and orderly. And it is. 
But I confess to you that I look forward to some self-determined date in December when I can declare that all of the yard work is done for the season, for the year. It's usually somewhere around mid-December when I think all the leaves have finally fallen. I blow them all off. I rake everything up. I put all all the yard tools away and I call it done until sometime around spring training when everything starts to grow again. So imagine, if you will, think about what went through my mind a couple of years ago. You remember that December that we got that 14 inches of snow right in early December? Something that no one in our part of the world ever expects? So that afternoon, after all that snow had fallen, I'm, I'm walking some, I'm cross-country skiing. Well, because there's 14 inches of snow, you take advantage of it, even on the flatland. So I'm cross-country skiing, and I'm looking at the landscape, and I think to myself, my goodness, everything looks great, everyone's yard looks perfect, even my yard is great. I mean, nothing is out of place. But remember... Just days earlier, there were still things in the yard to be taken care of. But as I looked at my yard, I thought, it's perfect, right? My yard is perfect. It looks great. It's under this beautiful blanket, this quilt of snow. Nothing is out of place. All the leaves are gone. All the sticks are gone. None of it exists. The shagginess is missing. It's perfect, right? Or was it? I mean, we all know what happened five days later. It was 60 degrees, and where did all that snow go, right? It disappeared. And all those leaves, and all those sticks, and all that shagginess was still there waiting on me. As soon as that veneer of snowy beauty melted away. See, I think what happens is messiness of life we find ourselves sometimes in messiness and we want to pave over it with a veneer of happiness or goodness or kindness or something, and yet it's still there, right? We never really take care of the problem. We just sort of put it on a little raft down the river of denial and let it go. Waiting for us, much like my yard, after that snowstorm, for a little elbow grease, rolling up our sleeves and taking care of it. Now, I share that with you because as we enter the Thanksgiving, Advent, and Christmas season, we're going to get together with close friends and family who come from different places. And my guess is as we're getting ready to do that, we're tempted to do something similar. We're tempted to make a list of no-go, no-fly zone kind of conversations, right? Those things that we don't want to talk about over the dinner table with friends and family. Those things we're going to talk around over the turkey fire or out in the backyard while we're around the fire pit or even while we play that game of touch football that never turns out to be quite so touch and more like tackle. We think of not bringing up those things that everything will be great and everything will be wonderful and in a way it will, right? In a way it will be great and wonderful because we won't delve into those subjects, the messiness of life that we don't want to talk about. But will not talking about it, will not delving into it heal the fractures? Will it heal the broken relationship? Will it heal the hurt feelings that we have been nurturing and sort of pushing down and pushing away? You know the sad truth, right? You know the answer to this question is no. Instead, the reality is those fractures and the messiness, they will still be there. They'll just be hidden under a blanket of niceness, 
politeness and avoidance. Now, let me stop right here for a second. I am not suggesting that you decide to bring it all out on the table this year and turn Grandma's Thanksgiving dinner into Battle Royal like a cage match at the Wrestling Foundation would think would be great. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm just suggesting that use this time. Use this list as you make this note, as you sit at the table and you look around at the friends and family that are closest to you and you think about all the things you're not going to talk about. That at some point you should probably roll up your sleeves and get into the messiness. That in recognizing the brokenness and the messiness of family dynamics and of life in general, in recognizing that there's something needs to be done in order to heal the family, in order to heal the world. Because that doesn't have to be your narrative going forward. We talk about today being Christ the King Sunday, sort of the end of the Christian year, and Advent begins a new Christian year. We're also really close to the end of the calendar year, and a new year begins. What if you decided at this Thanksgiving that this is not going to be our narrative next year, that we're not going to have to pave over anything, that we're going to fix, we're going to address, we're going to have these conversations about this messiness, and we're going to tackle it. And that's going to be sort of our New Year's resolution. See, in the, pa- in the passage that we're writing today, John is writing to the early church, to the churches in Asia Minor, and he's writing to them, and he reminds them that they are loved, reminding us that we are loved, that we have been freed from the bondage of sin because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have been made into a kingdom, and that we are priests within that kingdom, a royal priesthood, if you will. So on this Sunday, if we're going to claim Christ as our king, our sovereign, our ruler, our protector, much like a colleague of mine refers to Jesus as King Jesus. And if you watch, if you follow him on Facebook, it is all over what King Jesus has done today in worship, what King Jesus is going to do next week in worship. But he's really emphasizing on this king where Jesus is Lord of his life. If we're going to take that serious, we're going to take that vow that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that Jesus is going to be our King, then we must live as kingdom people. Not just pay lip service to that phrase, but really live as kingdom people. Live lives recognizing that Christ's love for us is very deep. Living lives in which we serve and we glorify God, the Christ our King, just by the way we live and do. See, my friends, only when we live as kingdom people are we able to roll up our sleeves and stick our hands into the messiness and the muck of life and begin to fix it and put things in the right order the way Christ wants us to. That's when the messiness, the cleanup of it, begins. I think this idea of Christ is my king, this idea of King Jesus, what comes to mind is Christ's ministry of love and grace. I think about that's the the essence of what he brought to earth. He brought God's love in a form that you and I could tangibly see and realize. His whole ministry was based on love. Think about the conversation with the rich young ruler. Remember, the rich young ruler was one of these that He had done everything according to the law of the day. And so he goes to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I have done everything according to the law and the prophets. What else must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Remember what Jesus said to him. Jesus says, take all your possessions 
sell them and give them to the poor. And the rich young ruler looked at Jesus, he hung his head, and he walked away. Now, many of us, when we read this text, we follow the rich young ruler, we follow him off stage, we follow him into the corner, and we think the story is about us. In a way, it's, it's convicting. Are we like the rich young ruler? Unwilling to give up for the sake of others. But there's another lesson going on here because as the rich young ruler walks off, Jesus is standing right there. It says he looks at him with love. Jesus watches him walk off, almost hoping that he will engage the conversation a little bit further, hoping that somewhere about the time he gets to the third step, he turns back and says, wait a minute, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? Sell everything. Do you really mean everything? But the text says Jesus looked at him with love. So even as he walks off, Jesus doesn't give up on him, doesn't write him off, hopes that he'll turn around and ask the questions, hope that he'll see that maybe it's not as scary as he thinks. Maybe it's not as impossible. Or you think about the ten lepers, you know, Jesus heals the ten lepers, and they all go away, and one of them comes back and gives thanks, and Jesus rejoices in the one that gives thanks, but he doesn't write off the other nine, he doesn't think less of them, he just wishes they realized the blessing they'd been given. Or Judas. Judas, who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, Even when he broke bread with Judas, he served him. He knew the story. Jesus knew already that the die had been cast, and yet he still loved Judas. All the way up to that fateful kiss. He still loved Judas and embraced him. That's kingdom work. But what we see with this idea of love is the manifestation of in Jesus' ministry comes out in grace. I mean, think about Peter, for example. Jesus at that same Last Supper where Judas betrays him. Peter is listening to the story and Jesus says, one of you will deny me three times. And Peter says, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And we know the rest of the story, right? Three times Peter was asked, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? I don't know what you're talking about. Not me. I wasn't with them. And then Jesus dies, is raised from the dead. Remember that shortly after he appears to the disciples, Jesus approaches Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. A little bit later, Jesus approaches Peter again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He comes to Peter yet one more time. Peter, do you love me? It's three times he's asked this question. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, don't you know I love you? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Folks, that's grace. For each of the times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It's a chance to forgive Peter for each of the times that Peter said, I don't know him. It's grace, my friends. The woman at the well. The woman that no one would talk to because of her reputation. She had that reputation in town. Everyone gossiped, but no one would be caught near her for sake of getting tainted by that reputation. But Jesus walks up to her, strikes up a conversation with her, asks her for a cup of cold water. Jesus shares with her the gift of grace and elevates her status right before everyone's eyes. 
See, as kingdom people, we are called to love and to act and to live with love and grace. Every four years, the clergy and annual conference, we have to go through ethics training. I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, the conference feels like that we need to be taught how to be ethical every four years. Um, but we're human just like everyone else, right? We need to be reminded of what is right and what is perfect and what is good. And so one of these ethics trainings, they informed us, they taught us this thing called trauma-informed care. It was an extra opportunity to learn something new. And see, trauma-informed care works like this. When someone acts out, someone misbehaves, someone acts ill towards you, rather than looking at them and going, what's wrong with you, which is what we are all tempted to do, it's to think before you speak. And internally ask this question, what's happened to you? Maybe it's been in the last five minutes, the last five days, five weeks, five years, whatever. But what has happened to you to make you act this way? See, in asking that question either directly or internally before we respond, we're sharing empathy care and concern because when we say what's wrong with you we are putting them on the defensive when we ask what's happened to you we're inviting people to share their pain to realize that we're willing to listen that we're willing to care see it happens it comes out in that this idea of love begins to live through that which then gives way to grace. Just this week, I was uh, meeting with a woman talking about a podcast with Forsyth Magazine and talking with her, and she was asking me sort of what we were about here at church, and I was telling her that we were about loving all of God's people and trying to really share that love with the community. She said, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm learning to practice that in my own life. She said, I used to be one of those people when I was young. Now I'm looking at her, she's 28. Okay. Ish. Anyway, so she's young. And she's like, when I was young, I was I had a real road rage problem. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. She said, you know, I was that person when the light turned green. If you didn't go, I'm on the horn behind you. I thought, oh, that's you. And she said, if you were driving in the left-hand lane and you were going the speed limit, I was the one that was flashing my lights and would whip around you. And I might, I might say some words or some other gestures that let you know that I was displeased. She said, then one day I'm sitting at the stoplight and I look at the person I'm just about to lay on the horn. I could see them in their rearview mirror and thought, she looks like my grandmother. What I want someone to act this way to my grandmother at the stoplight. She said, I started thinking about that. I started thinking about how I drive and how I interact with people and realized that maybe I need to change my ways. Maybe I need to realize that maybe they are distracted because of some bad news and that's why they're not getting off the gas or, or getting on the gas and getting off the stoplight line. Or maybe that's why they're in the left-hand lane. They just feel safer over there or they're just lost in thought. See, friends, that's grace. We begin to look and act with love and grace towards each other. We begin to get below the surface, below that veneer of perfection that we think exists. And we begin to see the messiness, the gunk of the world, be able to do something about it. Which then gets us thinking back to Christ our King. 
I mean, remember the other part of Jesus' ministry was this idea of a servant ministry. Jesus showed us a better way to be with each other. He healed the sick. He ate with sinners. He washed people's feet. But you think about it, every time that he had those interactions with people, he didn't just walk up to someone and go, hey, let me wash your feet. Or, here, here's a sandwich. He ate with sinners. He built a relationship with people. He got to know who they were, how they ticked. He cared for them. They realized that they were the most important person at that moment in time to Jesus. That the relationship... See, friends, relationships are where the real kingdom work begins. It's where they begin, we begin to really make the change in the world around us that we want to see when we build relationships with people, even if they're different than us. Even though they may have different viewpoints or different ideals or maybe even different politics. It's this idea that we begin to walk a mile in their shoes. We begin to see life from their perspective as if we were in their skin. And we begin to consider their perspective. We use this thing called appreciative inquiry where we ask questions like, tell me more. What do you mean by that? I don't think I'm getting it. Explain it to me so that I understand. We really begin to listen to what people are telling us. We hear their story, even if we disagree with it, and realize it's their story. But it's in listening that we build the relationship. We listen to each other. You know, one of the beauties of this congregation is we've got five different generations in this church. Five different generations who all have different life experiences, all with different journeys, all with different perspectives. What happens with the difficult things that we face in life if we just ask someone from a different era, hey, I'm struggling with this. What do you think about it? Why do you think that way? And we listen not to change their mind, but to have our mind and our perspective opened up a little wider, to get out of the echo chamber, to quit looking so narrowly focused and begin to broaden our viewpoint so that we might see the world the way it truly is with all of our different perspectives. I think, about well, what would it look like if our youth and our older adults had a conversation where maybe the question started off like this, what's it like being a teenager today? But the question goes the other way as well. What was it like being a teenager in your day? What we might find is that everyone's got the same hopes and dreams, just with different stuff around it. Everybody wants to learn to be effective. Everyone wants to matter. Here's the, here's the secret. Everyone still wants to matter. Everyone's still got something to contribute, no matter how young or how old you are. See, when we build these kinds of relationships, we build a bridge over all the things that divide our world. And it's in relationships that we begin to have the servant heart where we glorify God by the way we lift each other up, the way we respect each other, the way we listen to each other, the way we change the world together by coming up with a solution together. The real secret is when we bridge that divide, we actually begin to clean up the messiness that surrounds us. So here on this Sunday, where we declare that Christ is our King, ruler of all, 
where God is so high, so deep, so wide that we cannot go around over or under, but we only have to go to God through Jesus. We're going to realize that we need to roll up our sleeves and do the hard work of the kingdom, the hard work of cleaning up the messiness in the world. And we do that by relationships built on grace and love, relationships built on service and glorifying God, relationships built to make the world a better place for all of us. And in doing so, we can overcome those messiness things, those, the messiness of our world, our divisions, our politics, our worries, our pain, our suffering, the things that vex us every day. But in doing that, overcoming all that, we begin to establish the kingdom where God's dreams for us and for all the world become a present reality. All because we're willing to live as kingdom people with love and grace and service that glorifies God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.